morning at Yamtiv. Today is you get you give Multamas, basically Multamas, a day of liberation, forty-eight hours of liberation of the previous Rebbe. Miraculously, was liberated from death, from prison, Stalinist Russia, and from exile. He's totally, totally freed. Yes, and the merit of this day, that Nachman and should also have a redemption of Fur Shlema and the pedal bus million should have a Fur Shlema. And um, so we continue, we left off, we are in the chapter 4, Gitin 46b, on the bottom, second line from the bottom, yesterday we learned that if someone sells himself to idolaters, we don't redeem him. If he, he saw, and the Gemara explained, if he constantly sell, sold himself, he made it a habit, and he's throwing himself in the community, relying on us to redeem him. Like someone who borrowed from the mafiosi, from, from Uncle Tony, <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, he was seized the slaves, and then they come to their oh, community, please, please redeem me. So he makes it a habit, so the community says, no, we don't redeem him. If he makes it a habit, we don't redeem him. So related incident, who gathered, uh, there was this person, this up, and actually sold himself in bondage to, to, to the Lydians, who were cannibalistic people. We continue on 47a, Pirkon, redeem me, they're going to eat me for <laughs> dinner, save my life. Someone sells himself once, twice, three times, he makes it a habit. We don't redeem him, but the children are to be redeemed after the father's death. The reason why we redeem the children is because of the threat of their ruin, assimilation. You're going to leave the children, my idolaters. The children are victims. They're going, to, they're going to mingle with them and they'll assimilate. So as long as the father is alive, the father will protect the children, will educate them. But here, they're going to be lost. So therefore, we have no choice. We have to redeem the children. So surely over here, because he's in threat of death, are cannibals. Therefore, you're allowed to redeem him. And generally, you're not allowed to redeem him because he can't be a burden of the community if you're doing it intentionally. But nevertheless, these are extenuating circumstances. Just like we redeem the children to save them, we have no choice but to redeem them. So too, we have no choice, even though he's guilty and he's responsible and what he did was reckless. But nevertheless, we have a responsibility to protect them. So if this death, all these limitations of not redeeming doesn't apply if the Jewish prisoner is in threat of death. Under threat of... But the person is a renegade Jew. This one, yeah, but he's a renegade Jew. The Kachazi, we saw the Kachal Nevelis and Trefis. He eats Nevelis and Trefis. He eats non kosher food. He goes to non kosher restaurants. Animals that were not slaughtered properly. Or Trefis are animals that are, that are uh, critically ill, that are Trefis, have a defect. And. Um, Ami said to them, maybe he's a mumulati oven. Maybe because he's, he, he surrendered to his, to his cravings. He's not trying, he's not going against his religion. He just, he just couldn't uh, overcome his temptation. The, the ham, or whatever, this non kosher food smelled a little too good. It was rated a five star and he just couldn't, couldn't resist the temptation. It's not an apostate. We saw that once he had a kosher restaurant that had the same exact, same exact equivalent quality food, and he chose the, the, the non-kosher of the kosher, meaning he did it intentionally, he's an apostate. Not, oh, I have no choice, really I want to be Jewish, but it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too tempting. No, he had an option and he willingly 
cold-bloodedly went and shows he couldn't care less. He doesn't believe in Hashem. He doesn't believe in the Taita. He's an apostic. He went to McDonald's. He passed the permitted food and made the Nankosra. If that's the case, Zil, go away like a Shavkalidafkina. They do not allow me to redeem you. He says, I can't help you. If a person intentionally and deliberately is an apostate, and then you come running to the Jewish community and you say, please redeem me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. The Shlokis sold himself to the Lydians. He, because the Shlokis was powerful. Before he became a Baltruva, the Shlokis was, was himself was a, one of the bandits. He was a chief over a bandit. Chief, chief of bandits, right. So he decided, he planned to be captured to kill his captors and escape. So he would get rid of them. That was his plan. You know, very, very courageous. He went undercover as a prisoner, to sold himself. From the inside, he was going to take them down. That, that was his plan. When they led him away, he took along a knotted bag and a hard ball. Because in the bag was a ball of lead wrapped in cloth. He took a weapon with him. He hid it, smuggled in. A knotted bag and a hard ball. They have a tradition. The Yoyma Basra and the last day of the victim's life before they're going to cook me for supper. Call the boy Minei Avdilei. They give him a last wish. They respect your last wish. They should be forgiven for shedding his blood. That, that's where the tradition comes. So they like, act like humble and says, okay, before we kill you, before we roast you and barbecue you and you know, assault you, tell, tell us what your last wish is. Some say in order that his blood should become sweet. In other words, he would die content because if he dies and his blood is all curled up and he's angry and nasty, it won't taste as good. But if he's content, oh, they gave him his last wish, then his blood will be sweet. Okay. So he says, he thinks, so he said to himself, yeah, so I'm going to turn to, the, to my advantage. He says, the last day, right before they were going to cook him. He says, my nichalach, what are you please? <laughs> I want to tie you up and seat you. <laughs> and then I will strike each of you. Blow in a half with my bag. You know, they thought, okay, it's okay. he has a crazy wish. Of course, what harm could he do already with a, with a uh, knotted bag, a little bag? Okay. They didn't know that he had a heavy object in there, a metal that was wrapped in cloth. He was a pretty strong guy. Yeah. So come to you, know, I see you know. That's why Yochanan said you should use your strength. So he tied them up and see exactly and seated them. And he dealt with one blow, nothing was missing. He killed them. <laughs> Knocked them senseless, right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least he knocked them senseless. <laughs> he knocked them unconscious. Yeah. And he gnashed his teeth. <laughs> said to the man, You're laughing at me? He was still alive. I still owe you half a blow. With the other half a blow, he killed them, he knocked them out, knocked them dead. So he left and he came home and he saved... He, that was his intent. He didn't act reckless. That was his intent. He, he, he knew his strength and he relied with Hashem's help. 
You'll be able to rid the world of these bandits. Shlokish would sit and eat and drink with the money he earned. So he never, he never had any savings. He spent all his money in, 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 in here and now. In other words, he, even though it was, he, he, he didn't earn a lot, he worked very hard to earn a living, whatever he had, he spent liberally. Then those who have billions and are so cheapskates, they don't spend a dime on themselves. He had the exact opposite. I'm, uh, you know, whatever I make, live in the moment, live and, and live like a mensch. He would eat and drink well. He would, he would uh, you know. Amalei brate, his glory set him, like boys, immediately missing You don't want something to sleep on. You don't want to put aside f- funds to buy a mattress or a pillow. Why are you using all your funds just to eat well, and to drink well? So he said, Amalei said to her, Biti Kresi Kari, my daughter. My stomach, crazy, Kadi, is my mattress. <laughs> you lie on the stomach. From all that eating and drinking, you had a big stomach, you lie in the stomach. When he passed away, all he left over for his ears was a cup of saffron. Saffron is the most expensive spice. So that, that's what he left, that's all he had, which is just to add flavor to the food. So he, he had, when it comes to food, he had the best, the best of the best, the best ingredients. Safra Anafshi Anafshi applied the Pasik on himself. It says, and they leave their possessions to others. This is part of part of part of yeah, Who did he leave to anybody? <laughs> he says until him, Psalm forty nine. That they leave to others their wealth. He lamented the fact that he even left over a cav of saffron. He should have used it up. <laughs> what are you saving it for? Like you said, people are saving. What are they saving? For their grave? You're not taking anything to your grave. People are saving and saving and saving. Use your money. Hashem gave you. Use it. Live now. Have experiences. What do you live for? What are you living for? You, know, you may have money in the bank. Who cares? So it bothered him that he said, I should have used this cow also. If he used if he used his time and effort for something that he needed in this world, fine. If not, it was like a waste of time. What did I could have? I could have spent the time learning. Okay. Okay. The Mishnah. If you sell, you feel in Israel to an idolater. You have to buy back the field. You have to buy the fruit, the first fruits. And bring Bikurim from it. Why? You sell it to the guy. This is for the benefit of society. This was an enactment to discourage Jews from selling land to Israel, in Israel to a non-Jew, which a non-Jew is not allowed to live in Israel, and also you're, you're extracting, you're, taking, you're causing it to, there's no longer mysis. You're removing the land from Maishas, from Trumas. The Goy is not going to give Trumas and Maishas to the Goyan, to the Lisera, to the Levi, to the Ani. So therefore, we punish him and we, we want to discourage any Jew from selling land to a non-Jew that you will still be responsible, obligated to buy the first fruits and to bring it up to your Shalayim as we could. How about someone who follows Seven Oil? He's allowed to live in the land, 
but you're still extracting the field from Trumas and Mises. It's still a goy. It's not even a righteous gentle. It's not obligated in all these. So therefore, we discourage it. Now, there's another version in the Mishnah that says, not that he must buy. If you happen, you're not, no one obligates you to go buy the first fruit. You're just saying in general that even though the land belongs to a non-Jew, but someone who buys the first fruits from an Jew, rabbinically, the rabbis have made an enactment for the benefit of society that we obligate the buyer to go and to bring these fruits to Yerushalayim, even though biblically you're not obligated to, because it came from the, the non-Jews that now owns the field, and it's his fruits, so you're not obligated to. Why did the rabbis make an enactment? Why is this the benefit of society? Because we want to discourage people from buying the produce from, from idolaters. So therefore, this will force him to sell the field back. He has no customers. It's not worth it. It will make it not worth it for him. He owns the field in Israel, but no one is buying his produce. We're boycotting him. You have to boycott him. When you boycott him, we're not buying any fruits from a, a non-Jew who owns land in Israel who's removing the land from Trumas and Mises. Even though an idolater cannot own land, cannot exempt the obligation of Meiser, meaning the sanctity of a land, the land still remains sacred. And the produce is still obligated for Meiser. And Bikurim and everything else. Obviously, the Goy is not obligated. He's a non-Jew. He has no obligation. Nevertheless, why? It says, Hashem says, the land is mine. It says, it says, Hashem owns land. It says in Parshas Bahar, the land is mine. And since the land is mine, that's why, you, that's why you're not allowed to sell the land forever and the land goes back. Because the land is mine. Eretz Yisrael belongs to Hashem. That's what makes it a holy land. It's not like any other land. There's no nationalism in Judaism. We're not Jewish nationalists. Nationalism means I own the land. It's my land. It's my country. The essence of Eretz Yisrael, the essence of holiness, it's not my land. I don't own it. It's Hashem's land. It's a holy land. We're guests. We're guests in the king's palace. We're guests in the king's palace. Yes, like partners with Hashem. But we're, it's Hashem's land. And that's why we can walk away from the land. You shouldn't feel bad. I worked so hard in the land and then I'm returning it and I'm giving it up. It's ownerless. I can let anyone trample my field. The six years I worked so hard and the seventh year anyone can come or walk in and take whatever they want. It's not yours. It never was yours. Your life is not yours. Your existence is not yours. Everything you have is not yours. At Yisrael, it's prominent. The the holiness is, is pulsating, is palpable. It's everything in life, existence, and the land itself is holy. It belongs to Hashem. Versus nationalism is ego, arrogance, politics, exact antithesis of everything that makes Israel, that makes Israel holy. Kedusha Sa'odas, the sanctity of the land is mine, it can't be negated, no human fingerprints on it, you can't, whatever you do, it doesn't affect, the land remains Hashem's land. It spits you out if you don't follow this. Right. And the clowns who gave up parts of Eretz Yisrael and wanted to, negotiate, wanted to negotiate and give up Yerushalayim, they gave up the king's dining room and now they were ready to negotiate the king's bedroom. He's a bunch of clowns. Hashem says, it's my land. The holiness of the land is mine. All you clowns, whatever you do, you're not going to 
touch one inch of the land of Israel, it's going to remain Israel, it's going to remain the Jewish people, it's going to remain holy, it's going to remain, there's no two-state solution, it's never going to happen, not in God's lifetime. So in what sense could a guy buy land in Eretz Yisrael? The only thing they can buy land in Eretz Yisrael is to dig pits, or ditches, or, or caves. The heavens are Hashem, but the land he was given to mankind. He can do whatever he wants with his land. He can... The, the big pits, he can ruin it, he can destroy it, whatever he wants in the land, but not the sanctity. The earth was given to man, whatever you do. But sanctity, which comes from Hashem, you can't change that, you can't negate that. That will remain. And therefore, what's the practical difference? If a, go, if a Jew buys yield and fruit that grew in this field that was bought by the Goy, the non-Jew, the Jew is obligated to tithe. Because the obligation of tithing was there. Just the guy is not, doesn't keep Torah and Mitzvah, is not obligated to Torah and Mitzvah. He doesn't have to tithe. But the fruits itself are obligated to tithe. And if a Jew buys it from him, you're obligated to do all the tithing and all the terms. That's the opinion of Rabbi. Rabbi Loza disagrees. Rabbi Loza argues, No, a guy could, has the right when he buys the land to exempt the fruit, his fruits that will grow from that land and when he owns it, while he owns it, from the obligation of Maishish and where do we know this from? It says in the Torah, the Goncha. The Torah says that your grain, the Jews' grain, is obligated to give Maishish. But not the grain, not the grain of, of a non Jew while he owns the land. But he does not have the power to ruin the land and do whatever he wants with the land, to destroy the land. Remember, it says, It says, Hashem belongs to the earth. The earth belongs to Hashem, not only speaking about Israel, the whole earth. But here, the Gemara is saying specifically about, about Eretz Yisrael, that you can't attain full ownership of property in Eretz Yisrael. You have the right to enjoy the fruit. The fruit. That's all you have the right. It's not to the land itself, only to the fruit. So therefore the fruit is exempt from Maison. Because Hashem gave you that right to own the fruits. That's it. But the land itself, you can't touch. It's untouchable. You can't ruin the land. You can't destroy the land. You can't start digging pits and, and ruining the land. You can't damage the property. And therefore, the same halacha would apply to a Jew. When a Jew buys land during the Jubilee, when the Jubilee was in effect, so you only had the land for 49 years. The 50th year, you have to return it back to the owner. The one who inherited in the initial inheritance. From, yeah, the, from, from when they entered at Israel, every tribe, every Jew inherited a piece of the land. And their children, forever and ever, their children had the land. Yeah, yeah. So as long as Jubilee was, uh, was active in the first temple, so anyone who purchased land was a temporary. It was only for 49 years. So according to Rabbi Laza's opinion, your right to the land is only for the fruits of the land. You have no right to start digging into the land, ruining the land, damaging the land. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the inheritor. You're going to have to return it, restore it whole. 
Same thing on non-Jew. A non-Jew is allowed to purchase it, but only for the yield. That's it, for the fruit. And that's why the fruits are exempt. You can't touch the land. The exact opposite of the way the Abba said. The Abba said the exact opposite. The fruits, you don't own the fruits. The fruits belong to Hashem. It's holiness. Maizah is holy. That you can't touch. You can't negate. You can't affect that. You can't change it. And the, sta- the obligation of Maizah applies to those fruits. When a Jew buys it from the non-Jew, he's obligated to tithe. Not exempt. The land itself you purchase. You want to dig. You want to destroy it. You want, whatever you want to do, it's, you, you know you can do it. Exact opposite. Where do I know this from? What's my source? Because we learn in the Mishnah and Peyah. You're obligated to the Mishnah. Unless he declared the Mishnah. The leket, the the the, uh, the things that he drops while he's harvesting, that he drops, and the ones that he forgets, and the edges of the field of a Jew is exempt from mice. Because it's ownerless. Anything that's ownerless, it belongs to everyone. You have to give it to the poor people. It's not yours. Tzadik only says. Your yield you have to give through and mice. It's not yours. You have to give it away to the poor. So therefore it's exempt from mice. But the guy and the non-Jew who's not obligated to give to, to uh, the poor people. So it's his. So therefore, So we see clearly, we see clearly that the fruits of land that was purchased, land in Israel that was purchased from, by a non-Jew the fruits are obligated to give travel. Not the Goy is obligated. The Goy has no obligation. He's not obligated in 613 mitzvahs. Only the seven Noahid laws. There's no connection to him. The Jew who buys it from him is obligated to give Maizah. And there's no exemption. Even if he leaves Peya to the poor, the edge of the field, or the gleanings or that, that he dropped, or that he forgot, a Goy is not obligated to any of this. So therefore it's not Hefka. The poor, he's not giving it to the poor person. So it belongs to him. And even that, those parts are also obligated to Maizah. Ex- unless he made it ownerless. Because anything that's ownerless, the title says, is exempt from Maizah. If, if you find anything ownerless, you find something that's free for all, there's no owner, then, then it's exempt from Maizah. But unless, he's not ownerless, it's the guy, it belongs to him and he's selling it, he's not giving it away free. Then the Jew who buys it from him is obligated to Maizah. So we see clearly in the mission in Peya, like Rabbah, that, that, that buying, purchasing the land of Israel, a guy who purchased the land, that doesn't exempt the fruits from Maizah. When the Jew buys it from him, he must, he's obligated to give Maizah. Mother examine now. Let's examine the mission. Echidam, Rabbah is analyzing the mission. Eidlem, if you're going to want to say the Yisrael, if you're going to say that leket shikopeya of a of a Jew that an idolater gleaned and then he sold to another Jew, Elam can hifke. What do you have to say unless he declared them ownerless? A mafkid of a They're already ownerless. If it below, if it's the leket shikopeya of a Jew. A field of a Jew, and an idolater took it, and then he sold it to another Jew. It's already hefker, because it's it started out as lekker shikham as hefker. It belongs to all the poor people. The owner has no ownership over it. He has to give it away to the poor people. So of course there's no meiser. So what do you mean that the Jew has to give meiser? He buys it from the non-Jew. El alav they chavim lekin Yisrael. Surely we're talking about. The field belongs to the non-Jew. The non-Jew purchased the field. 
and Liktin Yisrael, but the Jew collected the edge of the field or the gleanings that were dropped or the gleanings that were forgotten. And therefore we say the Jew is obligated to give Meiser unless the non-Jew made it onerous. I'm a So we see clearly that yield from a, a field of a non-Jew in the land of Israel, a non-Jew who purchases a, a piece of land in the land of Israel, a field of land of Israel, the yield and the fruits are obligated to Meisa. When a Jew buys it from him, he's obligated to Meisa. And even if the Jew takes it from the edge of the non-Jew's field or from the gleanings that fell or from the gleanings that were forgotten, it doesn't apply to a non-Jew. He's not going to give it to the poor people. He's not obligated to give it to poor people. So it's not Hefker. So therefore, the Jew is obligated to, to, to separate the tithing and the trumas unless the non-Jew made it ownerless. And it's like anything else, it's ownerless that you're exempt from tithing. So if you have a The owner is a non-Jew. There's an owner, and the owner is a non-Jew. There's a field in the land of Israel. Hashem says, the holiness belongs to me. You can't, you can't negate the holiness. The fruits are holy, and you have to give trumas and maizas from them. So the Gemara says, no, it's not a proof. The Gemara rejects Rabbi's proof from the mission. Rabbi Lazar will tell you, really we're talking about, it's the, it's the edge of the field and the gleanings that were lost, forgotten, and the gleanings that fell, that were from a Jewish field. The Goy collected it. The Goy came and he collected it. I, the Kamehameha, how come after Makanis? He say, why if a Jew buys it from the Goy, the Jew have to give Trumas and Maisus? The origin of it is fruits that were yield, that was hefke, it was ownerless. The Jew was obligated to leave it free for all, for all the poor people. So there's no owner, so it's exempt from Trumas and Maisus. He says, no, he, the Mafkara, died Israel, no. The owner only made it ownerless for the Jewish people, for the Jewish poor, not for the non-Jew. For him, it's not ownerless. For him, there's an owner. So when he takes it, it's not ownerless. So when the Jew buys it from him, now that the Jew buys it from him, now that the Jew buys it from him, it comes from the Jew, from a Jewish field. So the Jewish field, of course, it was obligated to Meiser. And it never became exempt, even though it was from the edge of the field, from the gleaning that would drop. Yeah, but only for Jews, not for a non-Jew. The non-Jew went and took it, and now he's selling it to the Jew. Of course, the Jew is obligated to, to separate Trumas and Meiser. So it's no proof in the mission. Tashma, I'll bring you a proof. This supports Rabbi Loza's opinion. We learn the Braise, Yisrael Shalokach, Sodom, Evikichavim. A Jew buys a field from an idolater. Before it was a third of the way to fully be Right, before it attained a third of its full growth. And once it reached a third of its growth, after the Jew purchased it, he sold it back to the non Jew. Then and only then you obligate mice. Why? Because at what point does the fruits become chayiv mice? Once it reaches a third of its growth, then we say it like reaches reaches its it starts maturing. If it's less than a third of its growth, there's no obligation of mice. But once it reaches, and since it reached a third of its growth while it was in the Jews' possession. So even if he sold it back, since the obligation, the initial obligation started, began, when it was still in the Jews' possession, then it remains so. Or that even when it fully ripens under the non-Jews, 
ownership, it remains obligated in Trumas and Mises. So what do we see clearly? But what if it grow, the third of the growth is under the non-Jews jurisdiction, the non, then you're not obligated to Mises. When a Jew buys the fruits from the non-Jew, no, because Hashem gave him the power, Hashem gave him the fruits, you have a right to the fruits, and these fruits are exempt from Trumas and Mises. So the rabbi would reject this proof. The Gemara says, "No, Hachamayski, you know we're talking about over here. Surya. We're talking about a field that's in Surya, which was conquered privately by King David. It's not really included in the Holy Land. It's not really part of the Holy Land. No, so it conquered it, but it wasn't considered part of the land because he did it privately. It wasn't like part of the Sanhedrin. And first, first you have to conquer Israel. If he would have first conquered Israel." And he would have conquered Syria, it would have been part of Israel. But first he conquered Syria, and then and then he conquered the whole of Israel, so then it's not it's it's not part of Israel. Because an individual made a conquest is not considered kibush, is not part, considered a conquest, not part of Israel. So Israel does not extend the holiness of Israel doesn't extend to Syria by biblical law. It's only rabbinic. The rabbi said that since King David conquered it, so therefore we should treat it like Israel, even though it doesn't have the sanctity of Israel. And therefore, a um, right. So since it's only rabbinic, therefore everyone agrees that land in Syria that belongs to a non-Jew, you're not obligated to mice if he purchased it in the land of Israel, where it's biblical. Then Hashem says, it's my holiness. He can't negate that holiness. Just because you sell it to a non-Jew, he doesn't have ownership taking away that holiness. So the fruits are holy. If a Jew buys it from him, he has to separate. In Syria, there's no holiness. It's not part of Israel, biblically. It's only rabbinic. So therefore, a Jew's land, when a Jew owns the land, you have to tithe. The rabbis make tithe. But to say that a non-Jew owns the land and you buy from him, you have to tithe. No, everyone agrees you don't have to. Another price he brings to support Abelazar. Tashma bring you a proof. Yisrael, if a Jew and a non Jew buy a land in partnership, we continue on side B. So we have Tevel and ordinary non Tevel intermingled with one another. Because half of every fruit is, part, is owned by both. So half of it, the Jews' part is tevel. You're not allowed to eat from it until you tithe. The non-Jews' part is exempt. So it's mixed. They're intermingled. Even if they divide it, you take, you take these fruits, you take this bushel of that, I'll take this bushel of that. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't help. Every fruit is, is a combination. It's owned by both of them. It was owned by both of them. So each kernel is half and half. Yeah, it, you can't, you have to separate the miser from within this yield itself. Other fruits, other fruits, I, can, I don't have to separate the miser from here. I can take other fruits and I'll say I'm separating other fruits for this fruit. Whatever I'm obligated to give, 10%, I'll, I'll give it from some, another yield, another crop. You can't do that in this case. Because you, you could only separate from another crop and something that you're definitely obligated. Here I'm only 50% obligated. So the only answer is to do it from within. I have to take from this crop, I have to take 10% and give it away. One tap, yeah. No, yeah. That's the opinion of Rabbi. It's the opinion of Rabbi. Shemim Gamliel argues, Shemim Gamliel says, No. 
when they divide the produce, so the half that the Jew gets, you're obligated to give Meiser, but the half of the guy, you're not obligated. So what do we see from here? Ah, they're only arguing the argument is whether we have the concept of Bereda. Since they divide, so once you divide, it turns out that these fruits were always the guys, and therefore they were exempt. That's the opinion of Shimon Gamliel. Rebbe's father, maybe his, his great-grandfather. And Rebbe himself argues, he disagrees with his ancestor. He says, no. Or with his father. He says, no. There's no bread. doesn't help. When it was growing, it belonged to both. So every kernel is half and half. But everyone holds, everyone holds the half of the goy is exempt. Mm-hmm. Only argument is whether it helps when they separate it and divide it, and then this this half of the Jews is hundred percent obligated in the Meiser. The half of the non-Jews belongs to him hundred percent, and therefore is exempt. Or you say no, it doesn't help. The half of the non-Jew is also now. If you buy from the non-Jew, you also have to give Meiser because of the half of the non-Jew also was, has half of the, the half of the non-Jew is half of the Jews. Every kernel is half and half. So this clearly supports Abelazar, who holds that a goy has the power. The goy was given the rights to the fruits, and the fruits are not sacred, have no sanctity. The land remains whole and intact, and he has no authority to damage the land. But the fruits, he has a right to buy the fruits. The mother answers, no, the same thing. We're talking about Suri. We're not talking about the argument in Nebuchadnezzar. Well, it's not an energy song. It's all, I'll tell you, even the goy, it's, it's sacred. Oh. But and he holds that kibush yachlesh me kibush. Like we said earlier, just one second. Oh, Rabbi Avin says, Toshma, bring your proof. It says in our mission, if you sell a field to a non-Jew, like or maybe we could. You must buy his first fruits according to the version. One version, and you have to bring because taking the elam. This is the benefit of society. Taking elam, even the rice says only for the benefit of society. There's no obligation. Regularly, if you buy a fruit, you would not be obligated on bikurim. So you see clearly, like a belazer, that the non-Jew has the power to own the fruits. It belongs to him. There's no, there's no sanctity. There's no trumas obligation. Trumas ma'isus. Am Ravashi, Ravashi rejects this. There's no shteita konis have. There were two enactments. Originally, those who sold the fruits, idolaters would purchase the fields first fruits and bring it. As it required on the biblical law, like uh, like Rabbi says. Once they saw that people would sell the fields, idolaters, the Savri came in. Because they have nothing to lose. They thought that we're not doing anything wrong. We're not doing anything wrong. We're selling the field. It still remains sacred, so what's the big deal? Let's, let's sell the fields. But they didn't want the, the, them to sell fields to non-Jews. They thought it's not a sin. But actually, you're not allowed to. A non-Jew is not allowed to live in the land of Israel. So therefore, they made an enactment that, the, that they shouldn't bring to Muslims. Thinking this will be an incentive to get them not to sell it. They realize that they're, they're, it's as if they're exempting the fruits from the sanctity, they're removing the sanctity of the fruits. If they made an enactment, don't bring it. So this will stop people from selling the field. No one's going to 
take holy land and, 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 and change it over to a non-Jew. There's no incentive for a Jew not to sell the land. What do I care? I'm still, I'm still the, the holiness is intact. So therefore they made an enactment, don't bring it. Don't bring it. So therefore the, they, oh, it's losing its holiness. Maybe this will stop the Jew from selling the land to a non-Jew. But then they saw, that despite all of that, people didn't have enough funds would sell, sell the field. The field would permanently become in the hands of idolaters and would remain there in Israel. So Therefore they re-brought re- it back to its original. Now this will become an incentive for them not to, not to sell it. Because the, the produce, you do have to bring tithing. If you would say that it's biblical, then you would be obligated to bring Bikurim. You'd be obligated because the only one who can bring the Bikurim is the owner. The only one who can go and bring it to Yerushalayim and the Beis Amigdash and say, he has to announce, proclaim, it's my field that you gave me. The only one who can do that is the owner who sold the land to the non-Jew. So then if it was biblical, you'd be obligated to buy the first fruits and bring it to Yerushalayim. The, the other things that have, uh, the other thing that's tevel, the mice, uh, only if you want to eat from it, then you have to separate the mice. If you don't want to eat from it, it's not, you don't have to buy it and, and, and separate. But Bikurim, you're obligated to take these fruits and bring it up to Yerushalayim. So it seems it's only only obligated rabbinically, biblically. You're exempt, like Abelazar. He says, no, biblically, really, the Mishnah couldn't be explained according to Rabba. Biblically, you are obligated. And therefore, you would be biblically obligated. And that was the original. But then they saw, that's the way it was originally. But then they saw that the people needed an incentive not to sell the land. Since they purchased the Bikurim and the fruit still had sanctity, so they, 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 they didn't refrain from selling the land. They thought they're not, uh, no harm done. So therefore they said, no, you don't bring Bikurim. Don't bring Bikurim. It means they realize there's harm done. When you're selling the land to non-Jew, you're, you're changing something. You're harming the land. So that would be an incentive for them not to sell. But then they saw it wasn't working. People didn't care. They needed the money. So then they re- restored it back. Oh, you will have to buy back the Bikurim. So I have to buy back the Bikurim. So what did I gain? So uh, I have to spend money, buy back the fruits, go to Yerushalayim. Am I gaining anything? The pain is worse than the, than the gain. So, uh, so therefore, there will be an incentive for them not to sell, or disincentive. They shouldn't sell the land. That's how Rabbi would explain the mission. Now we learn, if you sell, you feel for its produce. Rabbi Yechonon said, maybe because the buyer brings Bikurim. The buyer brings Bikurim. And he can recite the verses. He can say, it's my, it's my land. Because he sells him the rights. So the Gemara is giving an example when Jubilee no longer applies. When the time of Jubilee, the laws of Jubilee applied. Every field that you sold could only be for the fruits. Because after the Yoival, it went, reverted back to its original owner. You only had ownership for the fruits. You can't damage the field to do anything in the field. But after Jubilee no longer applies, he's giving a specific example that he sold it just for the fruits. Rabbi Yechonon says he bought all the rights. He sold them all his rights. So just like he can, he's obligated to take the fruits and he can go and proclaim. 
which only the owner can do. The owner sold his rights to the buyer. Yishlak is argued. Yishlak is argued. No, maybe. He's obligated to bring it. You can't proclaim the field that you gave me. It's not your field. When you purchase the fruits, it's as if you purchase the, 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 uh, the essence of the thing. You, you, you purchase the land itself. If you have the rights to the produce, then it's as if you have the rights to the property. Because what, how does ownership express itself? What do you mean? You're the owner of the land, but I can't have any of the benefits. <laughs> how are you owner? The owner of the land expresses itself as I can enjoy the fruits. So the purchaser report the rights for the fruits. He's li- it's as if he owns the land. He's the owner. So he can say, it's my field. He can proclaim in the base Hamikdash, it's my field. When he brings the first fruit, no, maybe no, he only is the owner of the fruits. He doesn't, doesn't own the land. Yeah, yeah. The Torah says that we could rejoice with all the good that Hashem did, did for Hashem and did for you and to your household. And to your household. person could bring the bikurim of the property of his wife that she entered into the marriage. He benefits, he gets the rent, he gets the, the fruits. But it's the wife's property. It's her property. It's her property, belongs to her. If it goes up in value, it's hers. If it goes down in value, it's her property. But he gets all the benefit. And he can say, my field. So you see clearly that, that having the rights for the fruit makes you the owner in for practical purposes. Yeah, but still, it's her property. It doesn't, it doesn't own the property. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference. The says clearly, have a clear possible. So you're right. In that case, the Torah says the Torah tells me that even though in general I need a pasuk for that, even though in general having the rights for the fruits doesn't make you the owner of the land, in this case the Torah says, in the case of a wife and a husband, it's different. That having the husband could represent his wife. Hey, a husband and wife are like one, a single unit. Exactly. He's saying it for her. It's, it's she said mean. for him, and he said for her. Exactly. The others say a different version. bringing a proof to the fact that the Torah, I need a pasuk to teach me. According to you, why do we need a pasuk? It goes without saying. Since the husband has the rights for the fruits, it's for practical purposes. It makes him the owner. So even if he's not a husband, just anyone who buys the rights for the fruits, he can bring and, and, and proclaim, according to you. No, this is my source. The Torah is revealing to me. This is the source of the halacha that owning the fruits, the Torah is telling me that eating, having the rights of the fruits, makes me the owner. Because for practical purposes, and this applies not only in the case of a husband and a wife, it applies all, all across the board. Ace, I'll ask you a question. The Shlokas challenges Abir. You learn the Bride. If one was coming to Yerushalayim on the road, and he has the Bikudim of his wife and his half of his wife feels that he's enjoying the fruits. And then he hears that his wife died and the husband inherits a property. Maybe the So only then, now that he died, now he can proclaim it's mine. 
So Mesa in only if she dies, let Mesa loy. But if he didn't die now, doesn't this contradict the previous Braiza? Not only a question on, on, on Rabbi Eichanan, it contradicts the previous Braiza. But according to Rabbi Eichanan, even if he didn't die, even if she doesn't die, he can proclaim it. It says because, because this Braiza, and to answer the contradictions in this Braiza, in the previous Braiza, to make sure there's no contradiction, I would say the previous Braiza was talking about the case where she died. Right. Only then does the Braiser say that he gets he gets Ulubesecha. Right. Ulubesecha comes to say, yeah. But why, why do I need Ulubesecha then? If she says as there's no biblically there's no obligation. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah the husband has the right to his wife's yield and produce. It's only rabbinic enactment. What, 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 what's the question? What's your proof? What's your proof from there? It's Xerus Akasov. The Torah is saying that a husband could represent his wife because husband and wife are one unit. Not because he doesn't even own the right for the fruit. Taisu says because this was the norm. Even without the enactment of the rabbis, most women, that's what they did. They gave, they gave, they gave over to the husband. You enjoy the fruits. It says, what do you say? It's a contradiction of the Braisa. Abiyachan holds like the other Braisa. says clearly that even if she didn't die, he gets to proclaim. Taisa says, no, I would reconcile the two Braises that they both, they both agree. That the previous Braise is also talking about a case where she died. If you ask them, why do you need a Pasuk? Why would you need a Pasuk then? If she dies and he now inherits it, of course he proclaims. It's his now. I need the Pasuk to tell me that even though when the fruits, the yield was harvested, it wasn't his. When he was on the road, it wasn't his. She died while he was on the road. Nevertheless, the Torah is telling me that he can proclaim and say, this fruits are mine, this field is mine. That's why I need a Pasuk. The Torah says, why don't you say the Bryce is talking about a case where the wife didn't give the husband. Biblically, she doesn't have to give the husband anything. So the Bryce is talking about a case where she didn't give the husband the rights to the fruit. She kept it to herself. She was the business one. She was the billionaire. She married, she married him just for the sake of love, but he doesn't bring a penny to the marriage. She says, I'm, I'm keeping everything. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> he doesn't have to give him anything, biblically. So in that case, of course he can't. Of course it's only in the case where she dies. Once she dies and he inherits, now he can proclaim it. Before that, it didn't belong to him. And maybe in a case where he does have the rights to the fruits, then even if she doesn't die, she can. Simple. What are you asking in Rabbi Yechnan? How could Rabbi Yechnan have a brisa against you? What, what do you do? Who says the brisa is talking about? Where he, he owns the fruits. Strong question. It says, because the Bryce is talking about after the rabbis enacted. It's an enactment that every husband owns, owns the, the fruits, the, the benefits. Right. There's also another answer you can't answer that. You can't say it's talking about a case where he has no right to the fruits. Because if he had no rights in the fruit and he's on the way to bring the Bikurim, and then his wife dies and inherits it, he cannot proclaim. It's like the equivalent of you buying fruit from someone else, a stranger, right? And you're bringing the fruits to Yerushalayim, the Bikurim, and then you buy the field. Could you proclaim and say, my field? No. Yes, you own it now. When you're standing in the Vesa Migdash, now I own the field. But when the fruits were harvested, it wasn't yours. You just, you just bought it. You were a stranger that bought these fruits. So it doesn't help that in the interim you bought the field. You cannot proclaim it. So the husband will be the same case. If the wife kept the rights for the fruits for herself, 
and then she dies and the husband inherits it, he, cannot, he still cannot proclaim it. Just because he inherited, because at the time he had no connection to these fruits. So we must be talking about a case where the husband does, the fruits do belong to the husband. And the Titus says, only when he dies, then he can proclaim it, but not not. So this proves the opinion of Rabbi Lazar. It's a refutation of Rabbi Echanan. The mother answers, refutes this proof. I'll tell you, even if he does, she doesn't die, he can still proclaim it. Why does the Bryce say a case where she dies? I mean, I would think. I should make a decree that the husband should not recite. Because of Rabbi Yisrael Rabbi Chanina, but buts from she going to be actually if someone harvests because and he sends his grapevine, but see on grapes, and he sends it to Yerushalayim with an agent. And the agent dies on the road to Yerushalayim, and now the owner himself has to bring the bikurim himself. Maybe vein ekoyde. He could bring it, but he can't proclaim. Why not? It's his fruits. Remember, it says, you shall take the Bikurim and you shall bring the Bikurim. It should have just said, you should bring it. You should bring it. Why does it have to say, take and bring? It has to be the same person who takes it. He's the same one who brings it in the Beis Amigdash. Since he sent it with an agent, the one who took it was not the owner. And then he dies and the owner took over. He's the one who brought it, but he wasn't the one who taken it. So therefore, you don't, you don't announce it. So too over here, when the husband is bringing the fruits. And then while he's on the road, the wife dies and he inherits the land. So it's the equivalent as if, even though he's the same person, but his status changed. The one who brought it, the one who took it, was not the owner of the land. Now, the one who's bringing it, his status changed. Now he's the owner of the land. So maybe he shouldn't proclaim it. So Kamash on the Braises says, no, in this case, you do recite it because it's the same person. Even though his status changed, since it's the same one who took it, it's the same one who brought it. The husband took it, the husband brought it. Even though his status changed in the middle, he can still proclaim it. So it makes it all the way to Yerushalayim. The only difference is that when he took it, he only owned the rights to the fruits. When he brought it, when he stood in the temple, now he also owned the rights to the land. But still, it's the same person. <laughs> That's why the Bryce is coming to teach him. Since it's the same person, even though it's not the same status. The one who took it, he was in one status. He only had the rights to the fruits. And when he brought it and delivered it to the Beis Amigdash, he, only, he also had the right to the land. It doesn't matter. Since he's the same person, you can say, yeah, The law follows Eshelakish. Acquisition of fruits is not considered as, as ownership. Unless the husband and wife. That's different. The husband and wife, the Taylor says that he could proclaim. That's like a like one. Yeah. And, um, and even if his wife dies on the road and the status changes, he can still proclaim it. Yeah. Everyone have a wonderful day. Have a good yantar.